Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. glad you tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Jane Johnson about animals in research. Welcome to the program. Great. Thanks so much, Beth. It's really good to be here. It's great to have you. And uh, could you give us some background information about yourself? Yeah, thanks. So I'm an ARC Future Fellow in the Department of Philosophy and the Centre for Agency Values and Ethics at Macquarie University. And I'm what's called a field philosopher. So I'm someone who uses certain kinds of uh, tools and methods that are quite empirical for a philosopher to look at questions in in science and medicine mainly. And, And the kind of undergirding thread of of my work is is a commitment to trying to improve the situation of those who are vulnerable whether they're uh, animals in research or patients in um, innovative surgical situations so that's just me in a nutshell (laughs) so what was it that inspired you to study animals in research yeah so i guess i've had a really long-standing interest in animals I grew up in a country town and I had um, some really strong early experiences with animals and I started to be quite, uh, I guess, become quite concerned about the kind of relationships we had with with animals. Uh, And when I started making the connection as a child to the fact that these creatures around me who I had strong bonds with and who I had names for suddenly would one day turn up on my plate to eat and I found that quite confronting and so I started to kind of develop a real uh, interest in animals and it but it then took quite a while I guess for that to to become part of what I was able to uh, research as a philosopher so Um, When I was an undergraduate student, I had a wonderful course by a fantastic philosopher, Denise Russell, at the University of Sydney, and the course was Humanity and Animality, and it just absolutely blew my mind. It was amazing. It was, it exposed me to so many new ways of thinking about animals, science around animals, and so on, and so there was a particular essay question that I chose to do that was about animals in research and that just absolutely hooked me. Um, It then did take quite a long time to be able to uh, have a a specific focus on animals in research because there were a lot of um, people telling me that this wasn't a legitimate area of philosophy to investigate, that questions around animals um, just weren't the quite 
the, the right kind of questions to be asking in philosophy. And so it's only relatively recently that it's been kind of considered a, a legitimate area of concern. Um, but even within um, questions around animals in philosophy becoming or, or having this kind of capacity to be investigated in a, a, a new way, still animals in research don't receive as much attention as, as I think they, they ought to. So that's a, quite a, a long way of getting to the, the fact that, yeah, this is finally my, um, finally I'm now really getting to, to um, drill down and uh, investigate the passion I have for animals in research. So. Could you explain about the Belmont report? Yeah, so the Belmont report um, came out a little bit over 40 years ago, and it was written by a, a group in the US, and it was provoked by a whole series of issues that had started to be acknowledged around human research and really problematic and what we would now clearly recognises unethical practices going on and, and in particular uh, research using uh, vulnerable uh, groups of people. So um, there's a famous um, study of untreated syphilis in African-American men, the Tuskegee study, which was really um, a central part of, of getting things like the Belmont report written. There was also a number of uh, really exploitative uh, research programs involving uh, children in, um, in institutionalised care, um, people with cognitive disabilities, prisoners and so on. So there was a whole kind of impetus to, um, uh, in, as I said, about just over 40 years ago, to really uh, drill down and investigate this and, and try and um, try and get a handle on what was going on and, and suggest ways of improving the situation. So it was um, a, a report that came out of the US and it's continued to be really influential in human research ethics in the US, but actually has been quite influential in lots of other places as well. And the Belmont report ended up identifying a number of key principles that uh, it was thought ought to underpin uh, appropriate and ethical research. So things like uh, respect for persons, uh, principles around justice and beneficence, and also a special attention to um, the vulnerable. And so um, it was very much, uh, yes, a, a product of its time and really kind of was able to be a springboard for the development of uh, lots of important um, regulation around uh, human research. What is the situation for non-human animals? Yeah, so I guess the situation for non-human animals in lots of dif different areas, not just in research, is, is pretty, um, pretty difficult and pretty bad. And I think it's worth saying that talking about non-human animals there, we're lumping together a whole heap of different kinds of species of creatures. We're talking about a whole um, raft of different contexts in which we find animals all the way from domesticated through to wild. So so when we're talking about non-human animals and their situation there, there's um, 
yeah, it's, it's a, a lot being packed into humans versus non-human animals. But I think those animals um, that are in close relationship to human beings, so animals um, that are our companion animals, um, animals in agriculture and also animals in research, are particularly vulnerable to, uh, to because of their dependency on human beings for, for the, the very um, nature of their existence, their well-being and so on. So they're, they're highly um, vulnerable and precarious in lots of ways. So the, the situation of non-human animals is particularly problematic in research. And so the kind of research that I'm particularly focused on in my work is, is um, uh, preclinical research. So research where... Uh, animals are being used to try and inform human clinical medicine. Uh, and there are three principles that have generally been used to try and govern um, research with animals in that context. Um, the three R's, so to replace, refine and reduce the use of animals in research. Um, and although they're quite laudable goals and, and they seem um, seem like a, a good direction to take. They're actually, once you start unpicking it, they're pretty problematic and I don't think they deliver for non-human animals in the way that um, maybe we'd want or, or maybe uh, people would assume. So when we talk about replacing animals in research, there's actually uh, not a lot of good alternatives out there that are uh, being well-developed and validated. Um, there's also not necessarily the, the knowledge amongst um, the researchers investigating certain questions or even the, the, um, the ethics committees who um, are charged with overseeing research. So it's actually difficult to get replacement off the ground. Um, Reduction is also an interesting one. It seems, again, you know, this is a good thing to aspire to, to reduce the number of animals in research. But in raw numbers, um, the number of animals in research continues to grow year on year and it's not the case that they're um, being reduced. It might be that in individual experiments um, the minimum number of animals is used to achieve the goals of the research but overall when we look at the big picture it's not the case that they're, they're being reduced in numbers at all. And that third principle about refinement is again it's quite uh, limited so the idea is to refine the kind of techniques that are used in research to, to minimize uh, pain and suffering but it's quite limited in how it's employed so really it's just about refining or it's mainly about refining the kind of conditions the the um the extrinsic harms if you like that animals might encounter as part of research and not the more intrinsic ones so um, the, the, the situation for animals in research is, is pretty problematic and, and the three R's don't, I think, do enough work and they already, they're, they're predicated on um, an assumption that research um, ought to occur and, and they don't allow people to really um, uh, ask those deeper questions about whether research should proceed. They kind of assume that, that research is justified and kick on from that point. Are there grounds for extending human research principles to animals? 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. So um, I think it's it's worth taking a step back and, and um, pondering why we might want to extend those principles. And I think if we look closely at the, um, the bulk of animal research, there are some really problematic ethical and epistemological issues around animal research that is suggestive of a need to change. So we need to do something different. There's, there's really strong grounds for thinking that animal research needs to change. So probably most obviously people would be aware of some of the ethical issues to um, uh, and the harms experienced directly by animals as part of research, but also there are harms to the humans who are involved in undertaking this research as well. So there's a whole uh, series of ethical worries we could have. There are also um, these kind of epistemological worries. So worries about the quality of the data out of animal research, because You'll recall that, that I mentioned I'm interested in that kind of research that's meant to deliver for human clinical benefit. But if we look at the, the results from research, it's quite staggering. So estimates vary slightly um, depending on the kind of disease and, and the kind of animal and so on. But there's fairly good evidence that between 90 and 95% of those interventions that look really strong and promising out of animal research and that actually are used to um, start clinical trials with humans never make it through to the next stage. They never make it um, as drugs, um, for example, available from our pharmacy shelves. So that's a huge uh, uh, gap between those um, the results that look good in animals um, to a failure to translate to humans. And so what I'm getting at here is that there are really strong reasons to think that we ought to change the practice of animal research. And so one way of doing that might be to, as, as your question suggests, to, to extend those kind of human principles um, to non-human animals. And to do that by drawing attention to some of the similarities between human and non-human animals and, and using that as a basis to really reconceptualize what we're, we're doing with animals. And, and if you do look at the scene within uh, animal research, there are similarities in some respects to the kind of uh, things that were going wrong that led to the Belmont report. And so I think um, we can see similar kinds of concerns. And so we might be able to use the principles that came out of something like Belmont to, to do useful work for animals. How about respect, respect for persons, autonomy, and informed consent? Yeah, it sounds pretty counterintuitive, doesn't it? Talking about informed consent and research in animals, it, it sounds like a bit of a, a leap. Um, but I think when we look closely at the capacities of lots of non-human animals, they uh, exhibit uh, phenomena like agency, a capacity to um, show different preferences, uh, a capacity to um, be self-determining if they're enabled. Um, they can plan, they can have goals, they can structure their behaviour. 
uh, and so on. And when we're talking about something like the Belmont Report, so there are clearly um, elements of, uh, of animals having a, a similarity to humans in that they can exhibit agency. But remember, something like the Belmont Report doesn't just apply to uh, those humans who might be able to exhibit full autonomy. It's also about protecting those who have some diminished agency, diminished autonomy. So um, extending to, to a people or animals in the case I'm interested in, uh, a kind of a, an opportunity to choose to the extent that they can, and also uh, a desire to, to protect from harm. And in the human context, informed consent is often held up as, as the big way of enabling the respect for, for persons. But we sometimes forget that there are other uh, principles or other kinds of permissions that are talked about in the context of research. So things like when we're doing research with young children uh, or people who have certain kinds of impairments, other kinds of uh, resources can be deployed. So ideas like assent um, or dissent. So it's not just all about uh, informed consent. Our research can be uh, permitted with, with humans and arguably with animals as well, if we uh, think about introducing these concepts to and, and I'm particularly interested in dissent. I think it's a really useful kind of concept that we could use with non-human animals. It, that seems to be something that, that most um, animals, we can, we can see it exhibited quite um, quite clearly in some senses of, across a whole raft of animals. So potentially it's a, it's a helpful kind of um, check on, on whether or not um, research might be permissible or not. Could you explain about the benefits and assessment of risks and benefits? Yeah, good. So yeah, those, those concepts about beneficence and uh, assessment of risks and benefits. Yeah, again, a couple of really important points that came out of the ben Belmont report. So two general kind of rules, if you like, um, do no harm, but also maximise benefits while minimising harms. And if we take those ideas from Belmont and try and import them into the context of research with non-human animals, that might look like trying to assure that, um, ensure, sorry, that we do a really full assessment of the harms that are potentially occurring in research and actually occurring in research. So really seriously explore both the very direct and actual harms and also the kind of um, potential harms that might incur, be incurred by animals in research. Also have a, a really strong account of the, the potential benefits and a realistic um, understanding of those benefits, not just sort of pie in the sky. Um, this will be the most amazing, if only I do this research, you know, this will solve all the blah, 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 insert, you know, huge claim. Um, so, so make sure that there's a, a realistic kind of assessment of those things and, and try and um, bring them into uh, a direct um, way, have some kind of way of directly kind of meaningfully engaging with those con uh, concepts and, and trying to, to make some kind of meaningful 
um, comparison through them. Who ought to receive the benefits of research and bear its burdens? Yeah, this basic question of justice, it's a really important one. And um, so, so central, I think, uh, in lots of the worries around much problematic human research comes out of this basic concern of justice. So people um, leading up to um, something like the Belmont Report were really troubled by the fact that those people who were involved in research and who often suffered the harms and burdens associated with it weren't the same people who would um, benefit from it. So often they were the people who were enrolled in research were people who were marginalised and vulnerable in various ways, but it was often only very select social groups um, very wealthy people that got the benefits of research and so again if we think about that in the context of research with animals it's really interesting because most of the kind of research with animals that, that I've been talking about and that I'm interested in there is no um, benefit to the the individual animal that's used but it's also not even a benefit to the species of animal that's used. They're um, participating in research for us, you know, a whole different species. And even though it might actually be possible to glean some veterinary knowledge from this research, often um, veterinary medicine and human medicine don't talk to each other well. And so that kind of possibility doesn't actually happen. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a really uh, important question to ask that question of justice. And um, if, if we do, uh, if we do ask it, it's, it's not clear that most research with animals passes master. Mm, so where to from here? Yeah, <laughs> just a nice small question there towards the end. Um, yeah, I think quite clearly, and uh, as I've flagged earlier on. I think research just needs to change. I think if it's going to deliver for humans and for animals, there are lots of reasons that we uh, need to, to change what it looks like. And we can do this in a number of ways, I think, using the language of vulnerability and applying it to animals in research could be potentially quite helpful. Um, a colleague and I have worked on an idea of animal patience, which is where uh, we think about the way in which we use research with companion animals as, as maybe a model um, to, to do better quality research with uh, animals in, in biomedicine generally. And also I think potentially taking something like dissent seriously could be another way of uh, moving things forward and, and progressing things uh, in the future. And I think, I think we really need to, to rethink animal research and to put proper resources into developing alternatives and having those validated and recognised by regulators as well, so that it's possible to, to have good, solid, different ways of getting the kind of data that we hope to get out of animal research, but that so often we unfortunately don't. Great. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. 
Lovely to talk to you, Beth. It was really, really um, great to get a chance to, to talk a little bit about my um, passion there. And, and hopefully some people might be interested in, and try and think about ways that they might contribute to changing this, this area. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. And I've been speaking with Dr. Jane Johnson about animals in research. Hope you've enjoyed the program. I've certainly enjoyed your company and do stay tuned for Dinosaur Prize Surprise.